0: we're doing a series here at Thrive that we're very, very excited about. It's called The Call. Everyone say The Call. And the reason why we call it The Call is because we absolutely believe that God has a call on every person's life here, whether you're watching online, you're in the nursery, you're upstairs, or you're here in our sanctuary this morning, is that God has a call on your life. What is a call? A call is an invitation from God to live your life for a purpose that's bigger than yourself. That's what a call is. It's an invitation from God to live your life, not just for yourself, not just for your own comfort, your own happiness, but for a life that's bigger than yourself, for a purpose that's bigger than yourself. And that's why we've called this series The Call. It's because you were made to follow jesus and in this series we're talking about what does it mean exactly to follow jesus a lot of people have misconceptions of what it means to follow jesus and, and during this series called the call we've been trying to dispel a number of those myths and look at what it means to truly follow jesus last week, we learned about how you know the call to follow jesus is a call to live by faith and not by fear turn your neighbor say live by faith not by fear live by faith not by fear And uh, we've had a really great time going through the series. This morning, we have a very special guest in our midst, uh, and we are so privileged to have him here this morning. Uh, Dr. Colin Godwin, he is the president of Cary Theological Seminary here in Vancouver, one of the top seminaries and theological colleges in all of Canada. Uh, he is uh, an amazing leader, and he's here to share with us about what it means to follow Jesus. And, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Godwin, uh, you know, he is uh, the leader of one of the leading institutions here in Canada that's all about helping people discover, uncover, understand and ultimately pursue the call that is on their lives. And you don't have to be someone who's thinking about becoming a pastor to be doing that. You can be someone who's, you know, just thinking, I want to I want to live and work in Vancouver. I feel like that's what God is calling me to do. How does God's purpose for my life attach to that? How do, how do I find out God's purpose for my life as a stay-at-home parent? How do I find out God's purpose for my life as a student here in Vancouver? How do I find out God's purpose for my life as, as a single person who wants to get married one day? How do I find God's purpose for my life? And and so Carey Theological College has done an awesome job job of mobilizing Christians all around not just Vancouver but around the world to help them discover God's call on their lives. If you believe that, say amen. And so we're extremely privileged to have uh, Dr. Colin Godwin here with us this morning. Uh, Dr. Godwin uh, was uh, at another time, uh, many years ago, he was also a pastor and a church planter uh, in a lot of really cool places like Belgium. Uh, in places in Africa, uh, and uh, he uh, also has uh, welcomed just very recently uh, a granddaughter into his life, uh, him and his love wife Karen. Uh, they have welcomed a granddaughter just six months Can we give uh, them a big hand for that as well? That's very, very cool. Praise God for that. And uh, so this is very, very cool for us as a church. This is our first time to have uh, the president of a theological seminary here to to share uh, God's word with us. And we are incredibly blessed because I know from just knowing uh, Dr. Godwin-Colin just personally is that he has a heart to equip and empower and encourage people. I've experienced that personally in some very powerful ways. And we are very, very blessed to have Dr. Colin Godwin here. Can you please help me and give a very warm, warm Thrive welcome to doctor Godwin-Colin. Godwin. Let's give him a big hand. Welcome to the stage this morning. Praise God. Good
1: morning, church. I'm uh, so excited to be here. And what a great welcome. I met at the door by a VIP and everyone's so enthusiastic, enthusiastic, not just welcoming me, but welcoming Jesus to our midst and saying, Jesus, you are alive. You are real. You changed my life. You can change it some more. And we look forward to some of that today. My message this morning is uh, entitled Go Fish, and uh, that's a card game. But uh, this morning, we're going to look at uh, Jesus' call to those, uh, those fishermen. It's probably a story that some of you know pretty well from Sunday school and other places uh, and probably heard it preached on. You've read about it. So let's just dive right into the text. Next slide. Let's read this together. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out fish to people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, they saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Immediately, they left their father and their boat to follow Jesus. This story is not just, um, it's not just a biographical story about the disciples. It's actually a challenge for each one of us to think about who we are, and what God is calling us to do today. As Pastor JB said, uh, all of you have come in a certain circumstance, a certain place in life, and you're here because God is calling you to, to, to take next steps, to do something more. That's what this story is about for us today. It's a statement of God's plan for human beings. It's not just about the disciples. It's about us. And so I hope as we read that text this morning, you're wondering, how is God calling me? How is Jesus calling me to next steps of discipleship? Interestingly, the word that jumps out at me in the story is, is the word immediately. Um, it's a very popular word in the Gospel of Mark. It pops up a lot as well in, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, immediately, they left their nets to follow him. And I want to dwell on that a little bit because, in fact, we know that there is a backstory to this. We know that what happened wasn't just that they, Jesus saw them and said, Hey, guys, come here. We know that this wasn't their first exposure to Jesus. M- Matthew underlines the decisive response of the disciples, but remember Simon and Andrew already knew who Jesus was from when Andrew was a disciple of John. So this story is not as abrupt as we might think. And I think that's good for us to know as well. Each one of us has a backstory, And I'm going to be talking this morning about what God's call is in your life. But you know, God has called to me so many times. And each one of us has a story where God has already been active in calling us forward. And, and sometimes when we weren't even Christians, we didn't even know what was happening. God was preserving us, saving our lives from things um keeping us from harm, steering us in the right direction so that we might meet people who can who can tell us about Jesus. so each one of us has a story. but the reason that um, matthew the, in telling uh, this story this morning is 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 underlining immediately is because God's action in our lives, God's call to us, requires a response. We've got to say if he's Jesus is calling us, we've got to say. Yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. But first we have to know what that is, right? (laughs) That's the challenge. And um, the way that this story is laid out by Matthew, and I I think it's intentional, is uh, in fact a little bit of a parallel to uh, the calling of Elisha in the Old Testament. So let's read that one together as well to get ourselves in the right frame of mind. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shabbat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair elijah went to him and threw his cloak around him elijah then left his oxen and ran after elijah let me kiss my father and mother goodbye he said and then i will come with you go back elijah replied what have i done to you so elijah left him and went back he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate then he set out to follow elijah and became his servant it's interesting have you ever asked yourself why jesus called fishermen how many of you ever how many of you have been fishing now, is anybody here a fisherman i saw one hand okay looks like we're pretty urban dwellers here there's another one all right that's good um, uh, I've not been a fisherman, but um, I remember in, uh, in Africa uh, getting up uh, on the shores of Lake Congo. We were visiting uh, a ministry there, and uh, early, early in the morning, these, um, you hear these fishermen singing on their boats, and they're, they're rowing. It's old-fashioned fishing, and uh, they were actually coming back. They were coming back. They get up when it's, it's still dark, and they head out there, and, and so I wonder whether there are some, real, some good reasons why Jesus called fishermen. I, and, and I think here are a few um, um, examples. F- to be a fisherman requires perseverance, right? You've got to go out there and you have to stick with it. It requires a lot of patience waiting for the fish to bite or to gather in the net. It also requires a sense of timing. You, have, you, you need to anticipate when storms are going to come. You need to have some sense of where the fish are going to be. It's a little bit more of an art in some ways than a science. And um, those are great skills for these disciples to have. They, they also needed courage. Fishermen need courage. And, and certainly on the lake that they were fishing on, it was prone to violent storms. Which is something decidedly that the religious leaders of the day, they lacked. They lacked courage. They lacked many of these qualities that Jesus was looking for. Um, how many of you have some post-secondary education? I got lots. <laughs> the other hand, how many of you are in post-secondary education or have completed degrees? It's interesting that uh, none of these guys <laughs> went to university, you know? Jesus was looking for character. And so that's something that can sometimes slow us down. We say, well, Lord, um, I don't have uh, all the background that I need, but he still called them. They were interesting candidates for following Jesus because as we discover in the Gospels, they were often self-centered, wanting to have the best place near Jesus. They, they some, often they didn't get it, what was really going on, what Jesus was saying to them, and he would explain to them, I have to explain in detail his parables to them. They were also inhospitable, something that I have not experienced here today. Uh, Remember when the crowds following Jesus got hungry in Matthew 14, the disciples only thought of sending them away to get food. They wanted to chase away the children in Matthew 19 and rebuke those who were bothering Jesus with such trivialities. And, of course, they couldn't stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they all abandoned him in the end. Are these great disciples or not? Well, I think this too is part of the story because I doubt any of us could do any better. This is just the humanity of the disciples and the people that God calls because God is glorified when he calls imperfect women and imperfect men to follow him and they are weak and they are vulnerable and they have uh, character issues often and yet he does his work through them anyway. And he is glorified, and so um, with, with the growth of your congregation, you want people to point to Jesus to say, he's the one who did this. When you're in your family, when good things happen, you want to say, then you can say, it wasn't me, you can really say that. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. Jesus has blessed me, and I didn't deserve it. So it's good to keep that in mind. God does not need servants who think that they are doing God a favor. God does not call those who think they can help God do God's work. Jesus wants followers, people who align themselves with his priorities and leave themselves to enter into his kingdom. I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God a little bit later. The task of discipleship, of forming leaders, as JB said, has become my vocational call because I've seen the difference that fully trained, wholehearted followers of Jesus make in the world people who are Christian leaders each one in their own sphere whether it's in Africa or uh, Canada or China or Europe the task of discipleship matters a great deal so what kind of Elisha type risks might God be calling you to what kind of leader In your own sphere of influence is God calling you to? I want to share a few stories with you this morning of Christian disciples that I've seen. The impact of holy, devoted followers of Jesus on the world that I've seen with my own eyes. And hopefully as I'm talking about this, sharing these stories, God will just prompt in you um, a new sense of what he can do in your life. In uh, 2016, Cary opened a campus of students in in central China. Many of them are already pastors of large churches with several hundred members. We equip them to persevere in ministry. One um, pastor, Josephine, writes, I love the church. I feel so blessed to be able to receive theological education at Cary. Opportunities such as this are so treasured by Christians in China. We don't get head knowledge, just get head knowledge at Carey. We are equipped with integrated knowledge that's very practical and usable in my faith and my church. And her calling, after her studies, is to take the gospel to unreached around the world and to her neighbor. Carrie has just concluded a 30-year partnership, uh, a leadership development project in Africa. As JB mentioned, I, I worked in Africa after I was a church planter in Belgium. And uh, I was involved in theological education in Africa and also a general leadership role in missionary work in East Africa, in Kenya um, and uh, Rwanda and and the Democratic Republic of the Congo in particular. So in this uh, leadership development project, we started in in the late 1980s and we have graduated over 300 students. When we began, these pastors had like a primary school education. It was pretty basic level education. And by the end of the 30 years, we graduated over 300 students and we had um, done some capacity development with them so that we were now training uh, the, the professors actually in, with doctoral degrees in the theological colleges in the Bible schools that had grown up in, in, in these denominations over 30 years. It was pretty exciting, pretty exciting project to be, to be involved in and I saw with my own eyes how... God can take weak people, people who don't have what it takes in the world's eyes, um, and turn them into fantastic servants of Jesus. I taught in, the Af- in Africa as a missionary before becoming president of Kerry before coming to Vancouver five years ago. My wife, um, Karen, and I, we would connect with different projects, mission projects, and with some of our students uh, in, in East Africa. One of the places that I loved to visit, I loved to visit because uh, I experienced a church that was alive and fully committed to the Lord, was the Democratic Republic of the Congo. I don't know if you see that in your mind on a map, but the DRC is a failed state. It's a place where there's no functioning judiciary or police force. Uh, Corruption is rife. Um, What that means is if you're a rich person and you see a poor person's land and you want it, you can just bribe a judge who will make some new uh, deeds to the property and it's yours. Um, And the violence is terrible. Uh, After the Rwandan genocide ended in 1994, the genocidal militia groups, they crossed the border into the the jungles of of, of, uh, uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo and, and they hid there and they've been there ever since and they wreak havoc on the local population the DRC, um, the eastern DRC is known as the rape capital of the world and uh, what these groups would do is they would um, uh, would go in and abduct women um, uh, from uh, outlying uh, who are in their fields and whatnot and they would abduct boys to uh, pull them into into their militia, they were child soldiers Uh, one of my uh, professors in Rwanda he was he had a, a nephew who was in the DRC uh, who, who, who was abducted. And uh, that was an interesting day at, at that seminary, at that Bible college. We were praying for this boy's release. And um, it was amazing. He got, he, the boy got sick, which wasn't great. But um, he was so sick that um, they just left him behind and he managed to escape. But they wanted like $20,000 to, to release him. They were holding him as a hostage. And so that's for the boys. That's what happens um, from these militia. For the girls, they get abducted, and they're used as um, sex slaves in these camps. And we, one of the ministries that we had that we were involved in was um, a rehabilitation ministry for these women. And uh, our church partner, so in this broken part of the world, dealing with the most broken people, um, they were somehow restoring these women to community. And uh, I have a, an experience of that time that I'm never going to forget for my whole life. Uh, we were in... Um, A brick church building with a a tin roof Uh, it was a hot day and I was the visiting dignitary so I had to sit on the stage but they brought in women from these support groups and what they would do is they would try to uh, come around them and and give them skills and um, psychological counseling and training and medical um, um, help as well if they needed it and uh, try to restore them from health and uh, I was in this group and I think they forgot that I was the only man there and uh, what they did was they had these women share their testimonies. I'm telling you, friends, I have never heard anything so heart wrenching in my life. Um, uh, the stories. Uh, one woman, she was um, she was she was a prisoner for three years before she managed to escape, and by that time she'd had a child. And she's right there telling me her story. Um, I'm on the stage and. Uh, uh, I, 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 I bit my lips so hard to stop from crying uh, that it bled. Um, it just brutal levels of brokenness. And as many of you know, there are, there's that kind of brokenness all over the world. There's that kind of brokenness um, in our communities in different ways. Um, in, in our families, there are broken people all around us. But this was extreme. And what was also extreme uh, you know, and, and you see something like that, and, and, and uh, for all of our cultural uh, inhibitions about about uh, talking about what evil is, you know, you think, well, there is a devil, you know? Like, wow, to, to, to break people like that, conspiring to destroy people's lives. Um, so that's intense. The evil is intense. But in that dark place, God's people were intense. They were intense. In, in the power of God, I've never seen it so much in my life because these were pe- broken people who were restored to some kind of wholeness, people who would love them, take care of their kids. And, uh, and I saw that. This, this denomination that we worked with in this uh, um, uh, failed state, they had uh, developed three universities. They had five hospitals, um, dozens of clinics and health centers, an entire school system, all the way from primary to university. And so what I saw with my own eyes is when there are dark places, God through his people shines the brightest, shines the brightest. So I don't know what God is calling you to, but what I saw was these were Christians who were taking risks. They were doing things they didn't like to do that were very uncomfortable, and God was using them. God was using them to restore the lives of those around them. So that church is led by women and men of integrity, of prayer, and of vision. It's because of them that that part of the world works at all, whether it's Pentecostal churches or Baptist churches. The church makes that place work at all. Giving my life to train the next generation of Christian leaders is, is my mission. I don't know what God is calling you to today, what risk or new adventure, but I can assure you that once you start down the path of risking for God's kingdom, you won't regret it. Like the students in Africa or China or here in Vancouver, you will make a difference for our Lord Jesus. Do you believe that? Say amen. The people I talked about this morning have responded to God's call. Today, I'm asking you to reflect on the Lord's call on your life. What's your next step of discipleship? Will you take that risk? Will you say yes? Let's move on to the second part of the text in Matthew 4, verses 23 to 25. Let's read it together. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people news spread about him throughout all Syria and the people brought to him although who are ill with various diseases those suffering severe pain the demon possessed those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them large crowds from Galilee the Decapolis Jerusalem Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him the kingdom of God means the rule of God And I want to talk a little bit about what that means. You hear sometimes Christians talking about expanding God's kingdom. Well, actually, you can't. Um, And that's not the language we see in the New Testament. Um, Expanding the kingdom of God is not like a military incursion. Jesus calls us to enter into the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is, is here. The kingdom of God is not our responsibility to to make it grow. Our responsibility is just to cooperate with God in what he's doing. So, again, talking about your call to serve Jesus, you don't have to make something up. Just reflect on what God is doing in your life and around you and say, Lord, how can I just participate with that? How can I take steps to join you in what you're already doing. The kingdom of God is not our responsibility. It belongs to God. It's already here. It's not synonymous with expanding the influence of our church or ministry. It's synonymous with the reign of God in our lives, in our church, in our community. The disciples and the crowds were being challenged to transform their understanding of their own world and put Christ at the center, to trust in him and to follow him. This is the first mention of the crowds in Matthew. These are an interesting, the crowds are an interesting character um, in the story, um, if a bunch of people can be a character. They are the people who are attracted to Jesus because of his amazing miracles. And they're somewhere between his disciples and the religious leaders who opposed Jesus in terms of commitment. They, They can go one way or the other. Many times, the crowds are very positive towards Jesus, but in the end, they cheer at his death. So, I often see myself as that person in the middle, you know? Um, when, you're, or when, I'm, when, I, when God is putting a new challenge before me, it's like, well, do I go this way or that way? You know, or what is the clear call that God has for me? So again, when Jesus calls us, what is our response? Because he continues to call men and women to follow him. He continues to ask us to leave things behind to follow him, which is a key part of both of those stories that we looked at this morning. For Elisha and for the fishermen, you leave something behind. To make sacrifices, to take risks. It's no accident that this story immediately precedes the Sermon on the Mount. That incredible series of challenges which seeks to direct our commitment towards the kingdom of God. And so, in the next verses, we read more about what, that ki- what kind of commitment that is. In Matthew 7, we read, enter through the narrow gate. Let's read it together. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. And the ground of the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And again, we read a, a very challenging text in 724. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This whole section of the Gospel of Matthew is leading us to that kind of sacrificial commitment that we talk about here: building your life on the rock the rock who is jesus entering through that narrow gate not which means not taking the easy road the sacrificial immediate abandonment of those imperfect fishermen to jesus is what he asks of us so just before jb comes up and encourages you to to give yourself to him one more time i want to ask you a few questions what next step of discipleship is God calling you to today? Is there a sin that's been continually holding back? And like, like Elisha, you need to have a barbecue. You need to, to burn it. <laughs> or perhaps you need to get help from a brother or sister to overcome that sin so you don't have to face it alone. Is God calling you to give more of your time and money to help those in need? Here at home or in one of the broken places in the world? Is God asking you to take a step towards leadership in the church? Is God calling you to take that step and get baptized? What a great thing. What a great way to respond to Jesus. Is God calling you to start exploring a missionary call to become a pastor or an evangelist, to go and serve the Lord in a dangerous place, in a new place. Like me, you've probably heard the call of God many times. Jesus' invitation to take another risk to follow him. And so in closing, let me say, Jesus is calling you today. The kingdom of God is at hand. Will you enter in?
0: With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to lead you in a time where you can respond to God who's calling. The question is not, is God calling? The question is, are you listening? The question is not, is God calling? The question is, are you responding to that call? And here this morning, I believe that God is calling every single person here in this place, every single person in the sanctuary, who's watching online, in the nursery, that God is a call on your life and that call is not just this abstract idea of living for him but there are specific things that he's calling you to do with your life and my question for you today further than what dr godwin's message said is what is that specific next step he wants you to take what is that next step he wants you to take what is it to get baptized maybe you've trusted jesus christ as your savior you prayed that prayer but uh, you've never taken that step of saying, Jesus, I want to get baptized to show that I believe in you. Is that the next step you need to take? Maybe it's to join your church in fasting and praying for our city, for our church, and for your own life and your family. Is that the call that God has for you today? I believe that God is calling our church to a time of fasting and prayer. And if you're wondering what is God doing and how can I join him, then that's the next step that you can take as well. Maybe it's another thing to do. Maybe it's someone in your family that God is calling you to forgive and say, would you let go of that hurt? Would you let go of the past? Would you move on from what that was from before? Whatever it might be that is that next step, I'm just going to invite you. If you are saying, God, I want to surrender to you and I want to I take that next step, I'm willing to take that next step, why don't you just lift your hand to God today? Just lift your hand to God today. Just lift your hand to heaven as this is, this is a way to express God. Whatever it is you're calling me to do, help me to have the strength to follow you. Whatever it is you're calling me to do, help me to have the strength and the courage to follow after you. The perseverance to not give up. The, the strength to follow after you. The wisdom to know what it is you're calling me to. Why don't you just lift your hands to God right now and in your heart, in your own words, just start talking to God right now from your own heart, in your own words. Just start talking to God and to say, God, give me the strength to follow after you. Give me the ears to hear you calling me. Can you do that right now, church? Just start talking to God right now. Let's all pray aloud in your own words. Don't worry about what your neighbor's doing. You just start talking to God in this place right now. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Father. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Why don't you repeat this prayer after me? And you say, Heavenly Father. Thank you that even before I was born you had a plan for me you have a call in my life today I open up my heart say whatever it is that you're calling me to give me the strength to follow you whatever it is you're calling me to give me ears to hear that call I welcome you God to move in my life because I'm not truly alive until I'm following your call on my life. I'm not truly alive until I'm doing what you're calling me to do. And so thank you for the plan and the purposes you have for my life. I'm responding to your call today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now, church?